0: Well, welcome to, welcome to the Alpha Course. Uh, yeah, just feel free, take a little, take a second, turn your chair around or you don't have to. I can stare at the back of your head, that's fine. Um, how many of you guys are here tonight for the very first time? We're not here last week. All right, well, welcome. Thank you for being here. Great. I guess that means the rest of you were here last week, is that, that that's what that means? All right, well, my name is Frank Gloria, and uh, I, want to, I do want to welcome you. If you were not here last week, I just want to let you know that we have available, at the end of each evening when you walk down the stairs, we have, uh, we have CDs from this talk tonight, and we have a CD from Keith's talk last week. So you can just grab those as you leave and uh, just enjoy those in your car or wherever, or you can go online to lakeviewchristiancenter.com and uh, watch the video. And so, we want to make that available to you in case you want to come back, but your schedule does not allow that. So, tonight we are uh, in the second sec- uh, session, week session two. The topic is, who is Jesus? Now, before we talk about who Jesus is, let's talk about somebody much, much less important than he, and that, that would be me for just a moment. Well, not for just a moment, he's less than me, but just for a moment, we'll talk about me. Uh, I am not on staff here, so so keep your hopes down. So I'm not on staff here. I actually own a, a business uh, just across the, the canal, been in the employment, the technical and professional employment business for about 39 years. And uh, this is, you know, as I think Keith mentioned last week, the 32nd time we've done the Alpha course, and I've had the privilege of sharing the pre- presenting duties with Keith. Uh, my wife and I have attended Lakeview for... Last Sunday was 38 years we've attended here. And uh, (laughs) if you only knew, you'd applaud a lot more than that. Uh, But before I go any further, I need to, I I would be remiss in in not introducing uh, the woman who is my better three quarters on her worst day. And that's my wife, Annette. Sweetheart, would you stand up just for a minute? Let everybody see you. And if you knew what I put her through, you would definitely be applauding more than that as well. But she is my wife of 39 years, seven months, 25 days, about nine hours, um, 31 minutes, um, three adult children married to three other adult children who have given us 11 amazing grandchildren and uh, we are very grateful for that. Both Annette and I are from New Orleans. Annette and I went to, uh, Annette went to Dominican High School. Uh, most of you have heard of Dominican High School. I went to a, a military school called New Orleans Academy. Uh, I graduated in the top 18 uh, of 21 in my class. Um, it was the top 18. Um and as many of you know, I chose not—I not to go on and pursue a college education, so I attended Louisiana State University. Um, and actually, that's actually that's where I met uh, my wife, Annette. Uh, We—I was actually a member of the Delta Kappa Epsilon fraternity. I was a member of the original Animal House, and that, as I said, where I met Annette. And for the first time, I, I, I met her uh, when she was swinging from a chandelier, and. Uh, and that's really when she first caught my eye <laughs> with her heel. And, uh, and then my shoulder with her knee, down we went, and she's been all over me ever since then. It's really been, it's been amazing for, for me. So anyway, uh, just to tell you a little bit again about the Alpha course, it's the 28th, I think, year of Alpha across the world. It's been in over 100 languages and over 100 countries. Over 27, 28 million people all over the world have attended the Alpha course. As I said, it's our 32nd Alpha, and we've had uh, about 7,700 people come to Alpha since uh, September 18th, 2001, a year after the terrorist attack in New York, was our first week of Alpha, and we have been doing that every spring and fall since then, with the exception of the fall of 2005 when this ugly woman named Katrina showed up and uh, disallowed that from happening. But what is Alpha? Let me just tell you a little bit about what Alpha is for those of you here for the first time and maybe those who weren't listening to Keith last week. Um, Alpha is an invitation to think. It's to think about things that we typically don't really think about. Uh, it is, it's an introduction to the Christian faith. It's an introduction to the Bible. And if Christianity is anything, it is what the Bible says it is. This is not an indoctrination into the teachings of Lakeview Christian Center. Uh, This is not an opportunity for Lakeview Christian Center to have a membership drive. Uh, We're not attempting to get you to leave your church, leave your denomination. Our desire is that for us just to come together, enjoy a great meal, uh, listen to some talk about the scripture, and you, look... Where you are with God and you, that really is not, really not my business. But what we're going to do is we're going to share things from the scripture. And you are free to agree. You are free to disagree. You're free to listen and just enjoy yourself and be with us for as many weeks as you want. And so we want you to feel no pressure whatsoever that there's anybody trying to put a thumb on you. We're just grateful you're here. And, And, of course, I wouldn't believe that if I were you because I've given you absolutely no evidence to believe that. And who does something like this and doesn't have a hook in it? Well, we do actually, and uh, and so we are very, very glad you are you're here. And so, so what I have found in is most of us, as it comes to Christianity, as it comes to the Bible, we really seem to have an incomplete or incorrect understanding of Christianity. We really don't know what the Bible clearly claims, what it says. So let me just ask you, we'll have a little participation right now. How many of you grew up, because a course of your life, reading, studying, or critically examining the the Bible? You just kind of did that growing up your whole life. Just raise your hands. No, come on, really, please. Grew up reading the Bible. Okay, I'm getting about less than 10 hands in a room of 200 here. So, we got about maybe somewhere between two and a half and five percent of you uh, grew up reading and studying the Bible. So, that excites me. It doesn't excite me that you haven't read the Bible, but it excites me because every time someone's come to the Alpha course and come through the, the, the many class, classes that we do, I've always found that they leave here excited that, they've come, uh, that they came because they've learned more about the Bible. Many people will say, I learned more of the Bible in... 10 weeks than I did in 40 years and we know that that will be your case as well if you, if you come to the Alpha Course so we really are, again, grateful that you are here because it's important, I think, that we have you know, when it comes to faith, that we have an informed faith position and typically when we think about faith we think about spiritual things you know, are you a man of faith? are you a woman of faith? And maybe you say, yeah, yeah, well, maybe sometimes it depends on the time of year or whatever. I'm not quite sure. But I want us to know that faith is something that we practice and we exercise every day. There's not a day in our lives that go by that we don't practice faith. Actually, you practice faith a bunch of times this day, right? Now, I don't know about your weekend. I hope you had a good weekend. But I don't know if you planned your weekend around the weather. Because if you did, you certainly planned it in faith. But you know what I've found is that most of these weathermen, they just don't have a clue, but I think they just go back there and flip coins. I'm not quite sure. But we believe the weatherman's report, or don't believe it in faith. And aren't you sick to death of them being, t- uh, being wrong? I mean, doesn't it just bother you? So I was so glad to see one day that this happened to one of them. Just get him out of here. <clears throat> you know, you get him wrong one more time, you're not just going to lose your job, you're going to lose your freedom. <laughs> And, and I don't know, how many of you, how many of you fly in a plane? As opposed to flying in something else, like a helicopter. Okay. Uh, how, about, how about, have you heard of the new airline, Air Chance? Yeah. I, I love their slogan, fly safe and secure with our 75% safety record. Are you getting on that plane? I'm not getting on that plane. I have a hard enough getting on a plane like Southwest Airlines, who's never crashed. But is it faith? Yes, you're putting 100% of your person into an object that is less than 100% reliable. True? Is that faith? Yes. Do you think of it as faith? It's faith. Do you know for a fact if you're going to New York, you're going to end up in New York? But is it blind faith? I don't know. That's what we talk about. And and did you enjoy your meal tonight, really? Did you enjoy it? I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Your meal tonight. You don't, you don't have to clap because they're not around to hear you. Um, um, but, but um, well, you know, but, but before I go to that, I'm sorry, I want to get back because I missed something here. But about flying. I love this aspect of flying. That These are people that set off from LaGuardia Airport to Charlotte in total faith that their airplane would get them there safely without a stop along the way. It was supposed to be a non-stop flight to Charlotte. Um, but did they get on that plane in faith? Yes, they got on that plane in faith. Did they expect to have an opportunity to get a, to get a view on the wing of the plane? It's a lovely day, too. I mean, the, the water temperature was about 35 degrees. Wind chill, 18. And you know, the cool thing is that U.S. Airways did not charge them any extra for this additional opportunity. But they got on that plane in faith. But you enjoyed your meal. Sorry, I got a little bit ahead of myself. You enjoyed your meal. But you don't... Did you meet the chef? Did you meet the chef? No. But did you eat the meal? Yes. And I saw several of you come back a few times. Right? I mean, do you know that the chef just didn't really have a very bad day? But you ate in faith. Did you? Was it faith? Yes, it was faith. These are brand new chairs that you have here. We have brand new chairs. You're sitting on brand new chairs tonight. Yeah. Why did you sit in them? You believed they would hold you up. But there's a few that are not going to work tonight, and we made sure that. We loosened some of the screws. So, you never know. Um, but what if, the, what if the chef decided to put a little extra in some of the, you know, the meals tonight, and it did not agree with you, and you got food poisoning, and you go to a doctor. Is this the doctor that you want to go to? <laughs> okay that, that would be faith would it not but do you go to a doctor in faith yes is it blind faith I hope it's not blind faith I hope he's a doctor that doesn't you know doesn't have his practice out of a mobile home on airline highway um, is that faith is that blind don't answer that question if It's that, no. faith right you stood there. You looked deeply into his eyes. She looked deeply into your eyes. Better, worse. Sickness, health. Richard, poorer. Till so I can't stand you anymore. <laughs> but it's faith, isn't it? Was it blind faith? No. There was tons of evidence that were piling up. To you say, this is the man for me. This is the woman for me. It's faith. We live our lives every day in faith. So why would it be when it comes to spiritual things, we would just kind of check our brains at the door? I mean, each of us has faith. The question is, is it rational faith? Um, And I think you would agree with this this statement. The more evidence, the more rational the faith position. Would you agree with that? The more evidence there is to support a position, the more rational the faith position. The more believable the faith position position. I can remember sitting on a a jury several years ago, and maybe some of you have sat on juries before, and the judge charges the jury to come to a decision beyond does he say beyond a shadow of a doubt? Does she say beyond a shadow of a doubt? What does she say? Beyond a beyond a reasonable doubt. That means you may not be able to fill in all the blanks, but if you get most of the blanks filled in it's a reasonable determining factor to your conclusion. Uh, okay, another question. Another time, chance to, for participation here. How many of you guys... Okay, just a little exercise here. How many of you believe that there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat that's going to last forever? You're going to stop living physically and live spiritually. Now, don't be shy, really. It's a church. You can, you, know, you can do this. Okay. All right. Now, put your hands up just one more time. I don't want to exert you here. Okay. All right. Now, look around. You guys looking around here to see this? Okay. Thank you. You can, you can put them down now. Now, just a moment ago, I asked you a question. How many of you grew up reading, studying, or critically examining the Scriptures? Knew what's in them? Know what's in them? I maybe got seven hands and I'm being think generous there. But every one of us believes there's something on the other side of our last heartbeat. Not every one of us, but most of us do. Most Americans do. Like 96%, something like that. And we believe, and I mean, how many you believe it's going to be bad? Okay, I didn't think so. Um, there's a, um, King David in the Hebrew scriptures, so the, the, what we would call the Old Testament. Uh, King David wrote for the, uh, in what is called the Book of Psalms, they have 150 psalms. They're, they're really songs that were written. They're written to song. And uh, the 39th psalm, there's 100 and I think the 150 of them that are recorded that we have in the Hebrew Scriptures. Look at what David says, King David. He says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. See that? That's how long your life is. No longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Nate, Gabe, would you all come on up right now? So do you see this? He's saying it's quick. Look. I am 61 years old. I know I don't look a day over 59. But I am 69 years old, and I don't know how that happened. I know what happened one day after. Are you there with me, some of you? It's just like, how did it happen so quickly? It's just a hand's breadth. So I wanted to, I wanted to uh, these guys are already on top of things here. You're way ahead of me. This is my grandson, Nathan, my oldest of my 11 grandchildren. And Nathan is going to represent the physical specimen that he is, physical life. Okay, now physical life is basically the duration from coming out of your mother's womb to the tomb. All right, you got that? And none of us really knows where on this, this line, this spectrum, we really are, do we? You don't know if you're going to make it out of this place tonight because the chef was in a really bad mood. <laughs> But you don't know, do you? How many people this morning got up for work or got up for whatever and are not going home tonight? Did they expect that? No, they didn't expect that. They fully believed they were going home. They had faith that they were going home. But none of us know exactly where we are in this this continuum. But it's physical life and it's short, a very short time. It's and then all of a sudden physical life ends. And you, can you do that for me? Can you? Put your, that's, you gotta here. Try this hand here. Okay. Physical life ends, and then, and something is on the other side of your last heartbeat. If so, and it's gonna last forever. It's just a hand breath. This life. The question is, what's on the other side? And this is a thing that, that I really have a hard time with now, understanding now. I didn't always, I, I used to have a hard time understanding with this, but how many of us spend more time critically thinking about where we're going to go to school, what our occupation is going to be, where we're going to vacation for two weeks, where we're going to live, how we're going to raise our kids what what we're going to do over the short term and god forbid i mean how many are, i must just we just we just labor over what is the best cell phone policy because i cannot make a mistake with the cell phone policy and yet when it comes to that which is going to last and you just said you believe it's going to last forever how much thought have we really put into that have we just chucked our brain at the door but I mean, we're all over getting our bachelor's degree, our master's degree, our Ph.D. We're all over that. And that's going to last for how long? But when it comes to that which you said, which I believe is going to last forever, we kind of hope so. We think so. It's what my, my mom and dad and grandmother taught me to believe. And I'm not saying what they taught you to believe is wrong. I'm just saying, but what do you believe? What are you banking Life in the line on. This is just a dash. And we're through it before we know. But what the Bible tells us is this. You know, if we get this right, if we understand this to the degree that God reveals it to us, if in fact he does do that in the scripture, he says then this will be right. But without this being right and an understanding of that which he gives we will never fully get this correct. So that's something we'll be talking about through the the course of Alpha. Is not just what do you believe in the physical life? Why do we believe what we believe? Is there evidence to support that? And I would argue that if God gave us a mind to think with, why don't we think about that in more than just the here and now? For as long as the here and now is, and put some thought into okay. I believe that, but what do I believe about this? What determines where this is? And I really believe as we do that, if there is a God, and if the scriptures are true, and if we ask him, he is determined, bound and determined, to reveal that to us. So so let this stick with you. Thank you. Let's thank Nathan and Gabe for doing an incredible job. Gentlemen, you are the best. Thank you, Nick. All right. So I hope that helped a little bit. All right. So we're on page 12, finally. I'm 20 minutes into this, and we're finally getting into the book. Uh, who is uh, Jesus? Now, that is either a dumb question, because who doesn't know who Jesus is? We're in America, for heaven's sake. Um, or it is the most important question you or I can possibly ask. Now, just to tell you a little bit about me, I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up believing this. Um, I believed in a Jesus Christ that did not exist. Uh, and I created a fictitious character named Jesus who was not to be found in uh, the Bible at all. <laughs> I mean, when I was introduced to the Jesus Christ of history, I... Um, It really messed with me. Because that Jesus that I found in the pages of the Bible was not the Jesus that I believed in. So either I was wrong or the Bible was wrong. But when, uh, 42 years ago, I became a follower of Jesus Christ, he changed my life completely. Um, But it was really then, interestingly enough, it was then that I began to study some of the evidences about Christianity to see if there was really reason, is there reason to consider faith in the person and the claims of Jesus Christ? And so again, you'll see on page 12 here that he existed. There's really no critical, unbiased historian who believes that Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ of the Bible is a fable. If so, all other historical figures are brought into question as well. You really even have to question Caesar or Plato or Socrates, etc. And all other extra biblical accounts. Um, there's there's a, a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus, Cornelius Tacitus, and in his annual, The Annals of Rome, I just put, picked a little piece out of here for us to read together. Look at what Tacitus wrote. And Tacitus was no friend of Christianity. He was not an opponent, a proponent at all. He was strongly an opponent of Christianity. He says, consequently, to get rid of the report that he had Rome burned, that is Nero, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius, at the hands of one of the procurators, Pontius Pilate. Now Tacitus lived between about 50, 56 BC and, pardon me, 56 and 120 AD. And as I said, this man was considered one of the greatest historians that Rome ever had. Now, I want us to do this too. Just take your take your book, turn to turn to page um, 13, and let's just look at some of of these points, because the question that we really are looking at is, how do we know, you keep talking about the Bible, how do we know that the New Testament hasn't been changed over the years? How do we know that what was written then is what we have today? And I think that's a great question. It's a very good question. And I would put forth that there is tremendous evidence to support the validity of the New Testament. We're going to get a whole lot more of that into week five. But there's a science called the science of textual criticism, and that science is used to determine the truth of ancient texts and ancient manuscripts. And I want you to write this down. There, within textual criticism, you can write that down if you want. There are three tests called the within something called the bibliographical test. And within the bibliographical test, there are there are three issues. One is in terms of determining the authenticity of a manuscript and uh, one is the quantity of the manuscript so just write that down quantity of manuscripts you can write that down at the bottom of page 13 if you want anywhere on there the other is the quality of the manuscripts now quality doesn't mean what kind of shape they're in though it could be but quality actually means if you've got Ten documents, right? You have ten ancient documents coming from different places, and you read document one, and you compare it to document two, three, all the way to ten. What is the quality of their consistency? Are they saying the same thing, or are they, are, are they contradicting one another? And so we say quantity, how many of them of these ancient manuscripts still are existing because none of the original autographs are around. They're dust now. None have, uh, none have survived the millennial's. Of the, uh, the millennials, of uh, the millenniums, <laughs> or it, that could be true as well. Um, and then, then the last thing is the time span between the original writing and the signs and the, and the first manuscripts that we have. So, quantity of manuscripts, quality of manuscripts, and the time, time span. And it really is history that speaks so loudly about. Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So let's look, up at the fir- let's, let's look at the first one here. We have Herodotus. He was a Greek historian. He wrote of the Peloponnesian Wars. And you see here, when he wrote between 488 and 428 B.C., the earliest copy we have is A.D. 900. Do you see that? Are you tracking with me? The time lapse is 1,300 years between when Herodotus wrote that and the copy that, the first manuscripts that we have. And how many copies do we have? Eight copies. So let's look at another one, okay? That was, that was Herodotus. and Thucydides, 460 to 400. He wrote the Peloponnesian Wars, I'm sorry. He's a Greek historian. Wrote from 460 to 400. Earliest copy, 900, 1300 year span. We've got eight copies of his book as well. And then we've got Livy, a Roman historian. Wrote between 59 B.C. and A.D. 17. Earliest copy shows up around 900. Time lapse of 900 years. We've got 20 copies of him. Okay? I mean, the closest thing that we have to the New Testament is, is this guy Homer. Not, not I'm sorry. Not, that, that guy Homer. Okay. And... And with Homer, we've got several hundred copies, about 643 copies written in 900 B.C., earliest copy 400 B.C., about a 500-year time span. But look at the New Testament, written 40 to 100 A.D., earliest copy A.D. 130, full manuscripts around A.D. 350, 30 to 310 years. 5,000 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin, 9,300 others. And this actually needs to be updated because I've recently heard there's tens of thousands more than are even recorded there. So if you just look at the science of textual criticism, and without any bias, and you looked at the New Testament, and you looked at every other work of antiquity, you would say that without question, those books of antiquity don't hold a candle to the New Testament and here's the great thing. So we have a great quantity, but what's the quality like? In the midst of all of those copies, we have a 99.5% accuracy. And wherever there are inaccuracies, it has really little or nothing to do with the teaching. It could be punctuation, a different spelling, but nothing that affects the meaning and the purpose of the text. And so when we just look at the Bible, the New Testament particularly, on the area of... Of its historicity, there's not a writing, not a book, that even comes close to the New Testament. Uh, the, a professor of, of New Testament criticism, F.F. F. Bruce, he was a professor at Manchester University. He wrote, a, he wrote a book called The New Testament Documents, Are They Reliable? And this is what Bruce had to say. He says, And it was not friendly witnesses that the early preachers, that is the preachers of Christianity, had to reckon with. There were others less well disposed who were also conversant with the facts of the ministry and the death of Jesus. The disciples could not afford to risk inaccuracies, not to speak willful manipulation of the facts, which would at once be exposed by those who would be only too glad to do so. On the contrary, one of the strong points in the original apostolic teaching is the confident appeal to the knowledge of the hearers. They not only said, we are witnesses of these things, but also as you yourselves know. Had the tendency been to depart from the facts in any material respect, the possible pressure of hostile witnesses in the audience would have served as a further corrective. See, these New Testament documents, the copies are showing up in the lifetime of those apostles who are writing them. And they were not being written to a friendly crowd who would have loved to destroy every one of them and snuffed Christianity out, as we know the greatest empire at that time, Rome, attempted to do. And the more they tried to put Christianity out, the more aflame it became. It's fascinating. If you look at page 14, we see things, other things that the Bible declares about Jesus, that he was fully human. And these are some, some scriptures you can look up yourself, but that he had a human body, that he got tired, he was hungry, he had human emotions, he got angry, he loved, he was sad, he had human experiences, he was tempted, he learned. He worked. He obeyed. But but here's the question: the real question was he more than just a man? Was he more than just a great human or religious teacher? Let's look and see what Jesus had to say about himself. And I want you to—I really want you to keep that pen in your hand. On page 15, what did Jesus Christ say about himself? And I want us to look at some things. And here's the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm records Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now Jesus is not talking about here being a, a loaf of bread. He's not talking about being uh, a glass of water to just deal with okay, get with me the dash, the physical life. What he's saying is if you find his life in the line, you will experience in the dash, in this world that is getting better and better all the time. Isn't it? Uh, in this world, you will find a quenching to your thirst in your soul. And a h- hunger being satiated by the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. So, I want you to write next to that. Jesus says he will fill our emptiness. That's what I'm getting out of John 8.35. You just write that down there. Fills emptiness. I'm not asking you to believe this necessarily, though obviously I believe this, but just so that you see what the scripture is telling us. Recorded about this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this Jesus of Nazareth. So let's look at the, the next one. John, look at John 8.12. Jesus says, I am... The light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. See, again, he says, he says I am the light of the world. Certainly his teachings were the light, but he's pointing to himself. He said, I am the bread of life. He's pointing to himself. I am the light of the world. He's pointing to himself. More than he's talking about some corporate following. He's talking about himself. So what does that tell us? He's the light of the world. If you follow him, you'll not walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. What he's saying here is that I will give you direction in life and purpose. So i just invite you to write that. He's promising to give direction and purpose. You ever feel like your life's lacking direction? Like your life is lacking purpose? This is the claim that this Jesus makes. John 11, 25-26. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then look at what he says next. It's a question. Do you believe this? I'll go back to that in a second. But look, again he says, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. So here's physical life. The split second between your your heartbeats last and life in the line. He's saying, if you die, and every one of us will, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And he who believes in me will never die. What he's saying is you're passed from physical life into spiritual life. That's what his claim is. Is it true? But then he asks this pointed question, which I think should really impact us. Do you believe this? It's an interesting truth, if in fact a truth it is. Do you believe this? Have you ever asked yourself, do I really believe this? I go to church week in and week out. or I right, don't go to church week in and week out. And, but what do I believe? Not just what do I not believe, what do I believe? Have you thought about that? Have you looked in the mirror and said, okay, pal, what do you believe actually? Just, you know, in a room by yourself, had that conversation. What do you believe? What do I believe? And then, this last one I'll give us, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Oh, by the way, forgive me. What would you write next to it, John 11? I would just write next to that eternal security. Security in the physical life, because I know I, in the dash, eternity in the dash, because I know I have security in the forever. Now, those are the claims that he makes. So tonight when we talk about who is Jesus... If these claims are true, there's something to listen to. There's something to consider. There's something to think about. Matthew 11. Come to me. I love that he says that. He didn't say come to church. Now, I'm not opposed to going to church. Obviously, I very much believe in church. But he's talking about coming to him. All you who are weary, heavy burdened, and I will give you rules. Is that what it says? I'll give you rest. What does it say? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Do you see all the I ams and the me's in here? For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. So if he is telling the truth, if he really did say this, let me just say, let's just say for a second this is true. Would this be good news? Would you, would you say that that would be good news? If I came to him and he was giving me this? I would say that is good news. So what is he offering here? He's offering peace. He's offering belonging. And he's offering this. That you will never, ever be alone. You may at times feel lonely. But you are never alone. If that's true, there's no better news than that. So he made some claims to being God. He made indirect claims to being God. He made direct claims to being God. And I need to hurry along here. But in in Mark chapter chapter 2, forgive me, Mark chapter 2 verse 5, we see Jesus in a city called Capernaum. I don't don't have anything up on the the board for this, but you see him in a city of Capernaum. He's come into a home and uh, the home is filled with people because Jesus, according to the New Testament, according to the writers of the New Testament, he has been doing amazing things. He's been healing people. He's been standing up to the religious leaders. He's been speaking truth with authority. And, and there are some friends of a paralyzed man who are outside and they can't get in. And so what they do is they go up onto the roof, they take apart, I'm glad this wasn't my house, they take apart the roofing shingles and they lower the man in front of Jesus. In the midst of Jesus talking, they interrupt what Jesus is doing. I'm sure the interruption happened as the roof started coming down, but as the man started coming down, you're talking about faith would be the paralyzed guy that's being lowered, but what was he going to do anyway, right? <laughs> so they're, they're lowering him down Now, apparently, if the guy's paralyzed, he's got a a problem. Would you agree? There's a problem here. It's obvious that they have brought Jesus to him so that he would heal him. And Jesus does the most interesting thing. I'll encourage you to look this up later. Not now, but Mark chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus says to him, he looks at him square in the face, and he says, Your sins are forgiven you. Now, in this room are religious leaders. They're all over the place because they're trying to catch Jesus saying something that's against their law. And immediately when Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven you. They kind of go, they get their backboat up and go, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who can forgive God? Who can forgive sins but God? This guy thinks he is. And then Mark goes on to record, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, what is easier? For me to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or take up your bed and walk? But so that you may know, that you may know that the son of man, that was a son of man's a title that Jesus would use for himself, that son of man has the power to forgive sins, aka I am God. I say to you, rise. Take up your bed and walk. And immediately, the scripture records, he took up his bed and walked out of there. Who can forgive sins but God? And that is exactly the question. And so there were indirect claims to being God, and there are many of them. Look, this is, to, what, what, this is an introduction. So we're hardly going to scratch the surface here, but hopefully enough will be scratched to, to wet our appetite a bit more. He had direct claims to being God as well. You may want to write down here a scripture that is not in your, your, uh, your manual. John chapter 8 verses 56 through 58. The gospel of John. John's the fourth gospel. We have Matthew in the New Testament. First book, Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, and then John chapter 8 verses 56 through 58. I'll take you back to Exodus real quick. Exodus chapter 3, I believe. Exodus chapter 3. Moses, you guys have heard of Moses. Some of you have seen the Ten Commandments. Moses was in uh, in Egypt. He murdered an Egyptian soldier. He ran into the wilderness for 40 years. He was, was schlepping sheep on the backside of the desert. And God appears to him. And God tells Moses that you are going to be the one who sets my people free from the captivity of Egypt. Moses has a difficult time with this, as I think any one of us would have had a difficult time with this. But Moses says, who shall I say sent me? (laughs) Because in those days, a name meant something. A name really meant something. And he said, tell them, I am that I am. Now let's go fast forward thousands of years to Jesus. Jesus is standing talking to the religious leaders who are not friends of his at all. He is messing with their business and their religion. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, say to Jesus... You, your father Abraham, for me, this is Jesus speaking here, forgive me. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Okay, now, Abraham lives more than a hundred years before Jesus. Abraham lives a thousand years before Jesus. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, you are not yet 50 years old. They said to him, And you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And what did they do when he said that simple little thing? They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself. He's he clearly claimed that he was God, eternal God, come in the flesh. It's fascinating. Well, we have a choice here. He either, this, and this is where it gets really complicated. He either was or he wasn't. You got that? Either was or he wasn't. C. S. Lewis, one of the world's most famous atheists, um, who came to become a follower of Jesus, basically put this down into uh, this thought into what's called decision tree analysis, where you just bulk issues down, problems down to their easiest components, and you deal with it from that. And this is what Lewis came up with. Jesus claimed to be God. He either Was or he wasn't. It was either false or true. Right? I mean, can you think of any other option? If it's false, he knew it or he didn't know it. If he knew it, he was a liar. Correct? He's claiming to be God. He's doing all these things. But he's a liar. He really isn't. If he's a liar, he's also a hypocrite because he comes spouting out truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the truth. Whoever believes in me, he's an incredible hypocrite. No, he's an incredible hypocrite. He's a demon because he's telling people he is the way to have life in the line. Life that's going to last forever, that's going to be good. He's a demon because he's leading people down the wrong path. And not only that, not just a demon, but a fool. Because he dies for it, knowing good and well he's lying. He's a fool. Well, maybe he didn't know it. Maybe he really thought he was God, but he wasn't. He was just a nutcase. He was a lunatic. He was sincerely deluded. But the chances of that being as he day in and day out lived with his disciples, as he stood before some of the most, the, the wisest and more powerful people in the world and didn't crack. The thought of his being delusional almost take more faith. It would take more faith to believe that and even that he was a lying. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Take a look in your, uh, in your book again. Uh, So here's C.S. Lewis, as he called himself the most, uh, what is the word, the most, what convert, the most uh, reluctant, thank you very much, page 16. Here's what Lewis, a little excerpt from what Lewis had to say, I believe in mere Christianity. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be insane or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, he writes. Either Jesus was and is the son of God or else he was insane or evil, but C.S. Lewis goes on, let us not come up with any patronizing or patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. We are forced then to, with a frightening alternative, Either Jesus was and is exactly what he said, or else he was insane or something worse. To Lewis it seemed clear that he could neither have been insane or evil, and thus he concludes, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. And whatever evidences there are that supports what Jesus said, we we have so much more to look at than just a little bit of evidences that I brought here. His teachings, certainly. His miracles. His character. Hebrew, the Old Testament prophecies. uh, Archaeology. All throughout history. These are pieces of evidence. But Christianity rises and falls upon one thing. Upon one piece of evidence, did he come out of the tomb alive on that first Easter day? If not, if he didn't, then Christianity is a farce. It is not to be believed, it is dangerous, and we need to turn this church into a restaurant as quickly as possible. Um, but what if he did come out of the tomb that first day? Look at the uh, the apostle Paul, who once was a man named Saul of Tarsus. Who, uh, forgive me, I'm just getting ahead of myself here. So I'm looking at the watch. But look at what Saul of Tarsus says. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have tested about God, testified about God that He raised Christ. From the dead. Here's Saul of Tarsus become the apostle Paul. Who did not believe at all. And he says if Christ is not raised from the dead. Our faith is in vain. And so he understood that. And so when we look at. This life of Jesus. And then this death of Jesus. There is amazing evidence to support. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, I think your your table hosts have tonight an interesting article by the American Medical Association on the physical death of Jesus Christ. It's fascinating that nobody survived crucifixion. And many have tried to explain away the resurrection. And those who have tried to explain away the resurrection had a difficult time doing that. I know at least it's four cases of folks that are published authors who have come to the place where they realize that Jesus is who he says they started to write books to refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they ended up writing books supporting the resurrection. That all the evidence that they were compiling to finally and once put Christianity away was all the evidence that they had to actually write a book and books and author and, and, and lectures over the fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And as I said, many have tried to Explain away his resurrection. But where is the body? And we have a book actually tonight if you'd like a book I don't have time to go through the details right now but this book More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell who actually began to do that very thing to write against Christianity and to bring an end to it and Josh McDowell has written countless thousands of pages has spoken in so many different Uh, uh, places all over the world. But the question is if Jesus is God if Jesus is God what does that really have to do with me? You think about that really. What does that really mean? And I would say that is the question that he's asking really to each and every one of us. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say he's John the Baptist. Others say he's Elijah and still others say he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked his disciples this question, But who do you say that I am? Can we just do this tonight? Just sort of... Let that question echo through the annals of time directly to you and me here tonight. Towards so it's not a question that I'm putting out to the room. It's a question that Jesus would put out to every one of us in this room individually. Who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? What does your life look like in terms of your belief in me? See, the Bible speaks to us this way as it pertains to Jesus. If we do not correctly know who Jesus is, I would argue, we will never really correctly know who we are. If, we, if, what Je- if Jesus is raised from the dead... If the scriptures are true, if we do not know correctly who he is, I would humbly argue that we will really know correctly, never know correctly, who we are. But what are the ramifications for you and me if Jesus did not stay in the tomb and was resurrected? What does that mean? What, as I said, what does it really have to do with my life, the way I live my life? Maybe you're asking yourself the question, tonight: have I possibly not examined who Jesus is closely enough? And maybe not. And that's why I'm hoping you're coming back, just wherever you may be in in your search, learning more about what the Bible says. Now, next week, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about the topic, who, or pardon me, why did Jesus die? And I tell you, I I was surprised. You may think, well, who doesn't know that? But I would tell you, I was surprised by the answer. And I am so grateful uh, to have learned that answer. So please, I, want, I, don't want, I don't want to encourage you to come back for eight more weeks. I just want to encourage you to come back one more week. How about that? Just come back one more week. Of course, next week I'll ask you to come back in you know, one more <laughs> week. But okay, so we're about to break here. What we're going to do is this. We're going to take a short break in just a second. And then we're going to um, come back to our tables as quickly as possible and just talk about some of these things tonight at the table, all right? But just, I want to give you a little table etiquette before we go here, because uh, um, there's only one person speaking at a time, all right? Not in the room, just at the table. One person speaking at the table at a time. Um, if you're having a hard time hearing, assume the alpha position. Um, I don't know if you know the alpha position, but... Um, I just, this is the alpha position. Would you just assume that position right now? Just, come on, come on, just play with me for just a minute here. Okay, just put your hands, can you imagine, can you see how much better you're, now just keep, please, just keep your hands there just for a second. I've got to get this picture. All right. Okay. All right. Got it. All right. Thank you. Um, um, And then, um, and then, um, no question's a dumb question. That is really not true. I have heard some really dumb questions. But just ask it anyway. Ask it. Somebody else would have asked it if you didn't ask it. And then um, you don't have to talk, all right? Don't feel pressure to talk. Just come enjoy. If you want to say something, please do, okay? But if not, but I did read an article recently out of Yahoo magazine uh, that said this um, Happy people talk more and with more substance. So if you don't talk, we're just going to assume you're clinically depressed and really shallow. <laughs> so anyway, next week we're going to be in session, section three, Why Did Jesus Die? Really hope to see you back. Let's take a quick break. All right, and let's get back to our tables. Thank you all for being here.